Psalm 23 is where we're at. Psalm 23. And we're uh, covering this passage of Scripture. Here we are. This is our fourth installment of Psalm 23. We're starting in on verse number 3. And we're going to read the psalm in its entirety. A very famous passage of Scripture here. Psalm 23, verse number 1. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I did want to do one more uh, just kind of portion of teaching before we jump into the sermon for maybe two or three minutes. And, uh, and I, as I looked back, and I do this every week, I look back at the sermon, I consider what did I do, what could I do better, maybe I watch myself back, things like that. And uh, there was a portion of it that I thought, man, I wish I would have made that more clear. And I even thought, I thought strongly enough about it that I wanted to make it clear to you today. Um, and this is helpful for us. It'll be a, a teaching moment for us. As you study your Bible, there's one interpretation of a scripture, but there are many applications. What I mean by that is when you come to the Word of God, you want to ask yourself, what does this mean? What's the interpretation? Uh, you could, if you read a book on Bible study methods, they'll call it authorial intent, meaning what was the author intending to say? As the author wrote to his audience, as David wrote to his audience, as Paul wrote to the Galatians, what is he trying to communicate to them? That's the interpretation. That's what the scripture means. From that is where you build the application from your lives. And this is why context is so important to the Bible. This is why understanding the Bible is so important. And I feel like I should have made something clear last week that I didn't. We came to Psalm 23, 2, and the end of, of verse number 2 was this thought that he leadeth me beside still waters. So <clears throat> my interpretation of that after studying uh, kind of the life of sheep and shepherds, as well as looking at kind of the cadence of this psalm, it has this tendency to oftentimes just break into these phrases of uh, he is, um, he's, we're walk through the valley of the shadow of death or prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There's a sense of danger to the psalm all throughout it. And my interpretation of that is, and I stick by it, that it's leading beside still waters. It's leading sheep literally beside not to a stagnated or still waters. It's the, the shepherd's way of saying, hey, stay away from those. Those aren't good for you. However, there's not always, you can't always say with certainty, this is the one interpretation. To be clear, my interpretation of that would be in the minority. If you read 10 commentaries on that passage of scripture, nine of them are probably going to say it means that a shepherd is leading a sheep to a pool to have a refreshing drink. So, I, I, the, we, the reason I say that is I don't, and I'll do my best to make that clear. If I come to a passage of Scripture where there's more than one interpretation and we're not exactly sure, I'll do my best in the future to at least let you know that because I don't want you to have a conversation with your grandma at Christmas and she mentioned Psalm 23 verse 2 about these still waters and you're like, no, my preacher said it meant this, grandma, and you, you know, put her on blast because she thinks it means leading to the still waters to take a refreshing drink, okay? Maybe you've heard it preached somewhere else. I don't want to pit my against a preacher that you've heard previously on that particular phrase of Scripture. Now, there'd be other phrases of Scripture where I want you to do that. 
If someone comes to Psalm 23.1 and says, I shall not want, look, that means you'll never have a care in the world and you'll never have a want in the world because you know the shepherd. No, that's not true. We can say with certainty, no, it doesn't mean that. You look at David, his life, you look at the life of sheep, oftentimes they're put on diets, da-da-da-da-da, that, that doesn't mean that. So hopefully that's clear. If it's not clear and it doesn't help, shoot me an email and I'll try to clarify it further. But I did think it was fitting to at least cover that so that, so that you're not locked and loaded on that and understand that sometimes it's a very, it's a very small portion of passage of Scripture, but sometimes you come and you can't, you can't line up one interpretation. Sometimes it's, it's impossible to, and you give some liberty and you depend on the Spirit for that. But anyway, here we are, and he restoreth my soul. So new content this week. Uh, remember, this entire psalm, including uh, verse number three, is this sheep's approach to the shepherd. It is this relationship between the sheep and the shepherd, and it's this sheep literally boasting of, I have a good shepherd, I'm under the shepherd's care, and delighting in that. And this sheep-shepherd relationship is often used inside of Scripture. Psalm 95 is one of those. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Jesus, especially in John's Gospel, often used this analogy of sheep and shepherds. And so this is often used, and this is the shepherd king, David. This is his claim that he belonged to the good shepherd and he's under his care. So we come to these four words, he restoreth my soul. And I want you to understand that word restore and the word soul there, that this word restore is the word shuv, and it literally means to return, to bring again, to come back to. This word is used, uh, for example, in Genesis 40. Joseph is in prison and the butler and the baker come down to prison. Many of you know that story. And there's the dreams and the baker dies and the butler is restored, the Bible said, to his position. Uh, later on, a couple chapters later, Joseph's brothers come and they pay money for some goods and Joseph kind of pulls this prank on them and he tells someone to restore their money back into their sacks and to put it back. And so that is the, that's the essence of this word restore, to give back again. We would say things this way, that sometimes we restore an older car to its original beauty. Some of you, anyone in the room ever restored a car before? Maybe a couple of you, a couple in the room have done restoration of a car. I told our Wednesday night crowd in our Habakkuk series uh, a few weeks ago that there's two types of people in the world. There are those that can fix or restore things, and then there's types of people that pay others to fix or restore things. So I am a pay people to fix and restore things type of person. Okay, how many of you are not? How many of you are I fix, I restore, I'm a handyman, I'm a handywoman? Okay, maybe 30% of the room are not. That's, that's not me, okay? I never became an Eagle Scout. My upbringing was literally like I went to church all the time and I played basketball. That was like the sum total, and I fought with my brothers. That was the sum total of my existence growing up. We moved here on Tuesday, and uh, John George came over and was helping us move. And basically, in a nutshell, I said, John, I don't want you to move a box. I have this microwave vent that I need to hang on that wall. Could you just hang that for me? Like, if you can do that, that'll save me eight weeks worth of work because <laughs> I'm not going to figure that thing out. So, John, John did it. I didn't even help him or learn how he did it because I don't even care to learn. I don't want to know how to connect those wires, how to install a plug. I just, I just don't at all. So I, I am a guy, I pay someone to fix something. And I think that that's a good thing. People get frustrated because you buy on the internet and people say, well, you're not, you know, you're not shopping local. You're not putting your taxes locally when you shop on the internet, which I do that. But 
I say if you restore, you fix things on your own, you're robbing a local worker <laughs> of a job. And really, you do not care about your community if you fix things or restore things. So that is, that's my approach. I don't know how it happened because my dad is a fixer and a restorer, and my father-in-law is a fixer and a restorer. They're these guys that, like, spent their life in church work and ministry, and they'll go study for eight hours, and then they'll go, like, build a gymnasium randomly on the campus somewhere with their bare hands and a screwdriver, like, like they're Amish or something. And that's the type of, like, upbringing I had, but it just, it didn't rub off. You know, I'd be, oftentimes I've worked with my dad or father-in-law. And, you know, people, there's all these random names for tools. And I don't, I don't know who names tools, but my father-in-law would be, you know, hey, give me the Hitachi. And I'm like, I ain't falling for that. Like, that's a Mortal Kombat character. Like, I'm not, I don't know what that is, but I'm pretty sure, maybe it was Tekken 3, I don't know. But I don't, you know, if you ask me to go to Walmart and get you a hammer and a bear claw, you're getting a hammer, yeah, I'll get that, but you're getting a pastry. Like, you're, you're getting some cinnamony Danish if you tell me a bear claw is a tool, you're going to get possibly like that 99-cent back scratcher by the checkout stand. You know what I'm talking about, right? It has like that fake silver metal bear claw on it that like five people have used to scratch their own back. That's probably what I'm going to get you, okay? So I'm not a restorer. Some of you are. You're, you're fix it. You're restore. Great. Two thumbs up. Hate the local community. That's fine. But... There are, you can fix a lot of things, but I, I promise you, there's one thing, there's at least one thing, that you cannot restore yourself and you cannot fix yourself, and that is your soul. That is your internal man. You need someone else to do that for you, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. You, when it comes to restoration of your inner man, it's something that you cannot do on your own. And David is a man, when he says he restoreth my soul, that word soul is used about 750 times in the Bible. It's most often soul. Sometimes it's even life. You could say he restores my soul or my life. And David was a man that knew what it was like to need restoration of his soul and of his life. David was a man who had brothers who belittled him and thought very little of him. David was a man who went on to have his own kids who are nuts. They're off their rockers, and you would not want them to be friends with your kids. David was a man who had a psychopathic boss who literally wanted to kill him. David's a guy who is often downtrodden. His soul is cast down. He's depressed. He wrestles with temptation and sin. He is a man whose reputation was smeared, and he has to run for his life at the hand of King Saul. He's a man that is oftentimes doing things that, that you look at and you're like, man, he's a bad guy. Like David's one of those guys you do not want to babysit your own children. He's, this, is, this is the man we're talking about who oftentimes has a soul that needs restoration. And if anyone could come to the Lord or could come to us and say, it's him, he can restore your soul. David is a prime example of a man who could tell us a testimony of what it means to have your soul restored. He said in Psalm 42 uh, that, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Hope thou in God. And that is the solution for our soul. It is, it's him. It's the good shepherd. It's Jesus Christ to be our solution. So in light of the relationship of a sheep and a shepherd, what does this mean to us? He restoreth my soul. It, it means, I believe, at least three things and possibly more than that. But it means this, that he picks us up, he shears us down, and he moves us around. So I want to cover first this idea that he picks us up. This is probably the primary interpretation of this, that 
a sheep and a shepherd have this relationship where it's very easy for a sheep to fall down. It's very easy for a sheep to fall down and not be able to get back up. They call that a cast sheep, that a sheep is cast when it has fallen down, that it has laid down, tried to stretch its legs a little bit, its center of gravity gets off, it topples over, and it begins to frantically flail its legs and maybe bleed a little bit, and it can't get back up. It's stuck on its back, and that sheep is cast. And it's not for a shepherd or for us. It's not something that's necessarily funny or cute. It's very detrimental to a sheep's health because as a sheep lays on its back, gases begin to build in its abdomen, and it begins to cut off the circulation to the legs and then even into the internal organs eventually and that sheep if left cast if left fallen down will die if it's a hot sunny day and and it's bright outside then it's going to be a matter of a few hours that sheep will die if it's cast if it's a cool day maybe a little bit of rain that sheep may last two or three days but regardless it needs someone to come and to literally pick it up a shepherd will normally straddle a sheep that falls over is normally a big sheep it's normally not your little ones but it will straddle the sheep and normally you cannot fit your arms around it'll grab it by its wool and do its best to lift it up and to put it on its feet and normally that sheep will begin to run and the circulation has not yet come back to the legs and it will fall down again the shepherd will straddle it again and it'll lift it up and put it on his feet and hold it there and get it sturdy and probably all the while talking to that sheep you stupid little sheep when are you going to learn your lesson when you stop doing this to me all the while talking to it trying to calm it and trying to see it back on its feet this is this is part of the drama of the parable in luke 15 where Jesus tells this parable, there's 99 sheep and there's one that's lost, and the shepherd is doing everything he can to go find it, not because the sheep is just kind of wandering around aimlessly and i got to go find it. That's part of it, but very possibly because that sheep is cast. Very possibly because that sheep has fallen down, and if, he, if the shepherd does not find it quickly, then that sheep is going to die. If that sheep is pregnant with lambs, then it's going to die, and so will the young ones. And, and it's important for a shepherd to really find that sheep as quickly as possible and to do his best to pick it up and put it back on its feet. In our own lives, we are thankful for the salvation of our souls that in a very real sense, the Lord reached down his hand into the miry clay and he picked us up and he put us on a sturdy rock and he has stabilized us. But beyond that, don't we find ourselves like the foolish sheep that we are oftentimes cast down? Don't we find ourselves in spots where we have quote-unquote fallen, so to speak, and we need someone to pick us up. Spurgeon said it this way, the same hand which rescued us from ruin reclaims us from all our subsequent aberrations. Can I tell you a huge truth this morning? Josh just saying it a moment ago. The Lord Jesus Christ loves you, loves you with a huge love. That doesn't mean he's indifferent to your sin. That doesn't mean that he turns away from it. It means that he's very in tune with it. And that he wants to put you back on your feet. And some of you honestly have bought into the lie that you're not good enough. That my falling down, my sin, my problems in my life, I'm not good enough. And the Lord doesn't want anything to do with me because of that. And in a very real sense, you're right. You're not good enough. And neither am I and neither is anyone else in this room. But you're wrong in the sense that once you are saved, you are made the righteousness of Christ. Once you are saved, you are accepted of him. Once you are saved, it is no longer I'm not good enough and he wants nothing to do with me. He wants to shun me. It's he is a shepherd. You're a sheep who has fallen down and he wants to pick you up. 
He's not a shepherd who's shunning you, who's making you clean yourself up, pick yourself up, do enough good to come to him. He's a shepherd who wants to lift you. He wants to help you. He wants to put you back on your feet and pick you up. You just have to allow him to. We see this all throughout the Gospels. Jesus has such a heart of compassion and mercy and tenderness for the people who are cast down. For the people who are the outcasts of their society, who society wants nothing to do with, they're trying to shun them, they're trying to push them away. The lepers, the prostitutes, the publicans, the sinners. Jesus has such a heart of mercy for them to pick them up, to set them up. But Jesus does not have a heart of mercy for the people who think they can pick themselves up. The people that Jesus is firm with are the self-righteous, are the I can do it. I can will myself, I can do, I can, I can clean myself up, I can earn God's favor, I can follow the rules, I can, I can. Those are the people that, that Jesus Christ is firm with. And in our own lives, we can buy into two lives. We can buy into the lie that I'm not good enough, that he doesn't want anything to do with me, and that is a lie. We can also buy into the lie that I can do this, I can pick myself up, I can will myself, I can clean myself up, and that's a lie. Both, both sets of people need the Lord Jesus Christ to come in and to help and to pick up. What does the prodigal do? When the prodigal returns to the father, he still smells like the pigsty. It's the father who comes, who wraps a robe around him, who cleans him, who helps him, who sets up a party for him. It's the father that does that. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ, like a good shepherd, has a merciful eye that he casts on the flock, looking for those that have fallen down. And he desires, he longs to love in mercy and to take you, not ignore your sin, but to take you and to pick you up and to stabilize you and to see you walk forward in his name for the cause of Christ. He longs to do that. I wish that I could pick you up. I wish that I had in my own strength that I could do it, that I could help you, that I could pick you up. Some of you in this room, you, you right now, you feel as though it's been a long time since I've been on fire for the Lord, so to speak. That there was a point in time in my life where I was, I was living for the Lord. And I had a craving for his word. I had a craving for his people. I wanted to pray. I wanted to do things for him. But that, that fire has been quenched. I wish I could walk in your heart and dust your spiritual cobwebs off. But I can't. But can I tell you who can? Jesus. He can come in and he can restore your soul like nobody else can. The restoration and the longing that you so desperately want and need, he can and he wants to give that to you. I want you to go to Psalm 51 and see a passage of Scripture where David desperately needed this restoration of his soul and he desperately needed to be picked up by the Lord. This is a passage where David has sinned. And to be clear, David has some industrial strength sins in his life. David has committed adultery. David has arranged for a man's murder. David is not the guy you want to be around, okay? So here's David, and he comes to the Lord needing to be picked back up, needing restoration of his soul. And he describes for us this what sin does in his life. And I'm going to cover that real briefly. But he describes what sin does in his life. And then he gives us how he's brought back to the Lord and how the Lord restores his soul. And this is, this is a penitential psalm that I have prayed through many times in my own life and looked at I don't know how many times. It's been so helpful to me. But here's what David says about his own soul and this sin that has so gripped him. He says that it has soiled his soul. Look in verse number 2. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity cleanse me from my sin. Look down at verse number seven. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. If there was ever a guy inside of Israel that could live a clean life, it would be King David. 
There are, no, there are no showers. There are no Dove quarter moisturizing bars at this point in time. There are no magic erasers. But if there's anyone in all of the nation that could have a bath in a marble tub, I don't know if he did or not, but if there's anyone that could, it's him. If there's anyone in all the nation that could rest their head on a pillow in some silk sheets, it's David. The man that stands the greatest chance of being quote-unquote clean says, I feel dirty. This has soiled me. This has affected me, and I need to be clean. I feel filthy. It also it saturates his mind. He says in verse number 3, I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. David tried to kick his sin out the front door, and it just ran around the side, climbed in the window, and came right back to live with him again. And he said, I can't shake it. It's constantly there. It's constantly reminding me. He says, this saddened my heart. Verse number 8, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. It slowed his body. The bones that thou hast broken may rejoice. Not literally he had compound fractures throughout his body, but David is a man who's essentially saying, I'm crushed. I am, this is affecting me physically. My sin is affecting me. It soured his spirit. Verse number 10, created me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. This is a man who has some industrial strength sin, who has fallen down. He's cast. He cannot get himself up. And what's his solution? 10, 11, and 12, David comes to the Lord and says, Create me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. What's his solution? His solution is to go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me. Lord, clean me. Lord, restore me. Lord, set me up again. Lord, be the shepherd that I need. I'm a sheep and I'm cast, and I need you to pick me up. And we all face moments like this where we need the Lord to pick us up and to strengthen us and to help us. And we just saw in verse number two that the Lord does make us lie down in green pastures. But frankly, what good are green pastures if you have a black soul? And David says it's more than just that I'm to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He picks me up. He helps me. He makes me new again. Henry Ward Beecher said this. He said, I pray on the principle that wine knocks the cork out of the bottle. There's an inward fermentation. There must also be a vent. He said this, I, my prayer life is based on this principle. Wine pops a cork out of the bottle. It's fermenting on the inside. It's building up. So it has to vent somewhere. So too, my soul, my internal man, ferments, so to speak, and I must vent, I must pray, I must go to God, I must confess, I must seek him. He said, that's the principle of my prayer life, that my soul is going to sour, that I need restoration of it, and so I run to the Lord and I pray to him, and that is the solution. No doubt there are people in this room, and you may, you may have everyone in the room fooled, you may have your spouse fooled, you may have your kids fooled, but you know deep down inside you need help. You need to be picked up. You need restoration of your soul that, that you feel as though you're rotting from the inside out. The only solution for that, you can look everywhere you want in the world for a solution to that. The only solution to that that you're going to find is in the Good Shepherd. The only solution that you have is to go to Jesus Christ and say, do for me what I cannot do for myself. Restore my soul. Pick me up. Set me up. Ask for his help. Repent of your sin and move on in victory and know that he's there when you fall down again and you will that he'll pick you up again. But he not only picks us up, I would say this, he shears us down. The sheep that are most prone to fall 
are the sheep that are pregnant because they have some extra weight and they're a little off balance. And uh, all of the pregnant ladies who have had a baby, you know what that's like to be a little off balance. But it's also the sheep who have a full coat of wool. As that wool thickens, it, it, the wool is literally the part of the sheep, the extremity of the sheep that <coughs> attaches to the outside world. And as it walks, it will, it will grab mud, it will grab sticks, it will grab ticks, it will grab all of the surroundings that, that are around it. It will grab it and it will attach to the wool of the sheep and it will weigh it down. It will make it top heavy. And those sheep stand the best chance of toppling over of becoming a cast sheep because their wool is so thick and if you've ever been to a petting zoo or maybe you've been to a sheep farm even then you know when you see a sheep with thick wool it is not this fluffy let me lay my head on it cuddle up on it sort of wool that's after it's sheared and after it's cleaned and probably bleached and whatever else if you see a sheep in live action it's disgusting there's all kinds of stuff stuck inside of that wool and a she- the solution to that is for a shepherd to take that sheep and to shear it And that is not pleasant for the sheep, and that is not pleasant for the shepherd either. It's not a pleasant experience for anybody, but the shepherd will do that. He'll take that part of the sheep that touches the world and and tends to stick to the world, and he'll take it and he'll shear it off. I want you to go to 1 Peter, back towards the very back of your Bible, right after the book of James. I want you to see two passages of Scripture that connect this thought of our soul being weighed down by the world and the solution to that problem. 1 Peter chapter 2, right after the book of James, almost to the book of Revelation. 1 Peter chapter 2, look in verse number 11. Peter writes and says this, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. What what does 1 John tell us? John writes and says, all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Lust of the flesh, I want to do. Lust of the eyes, I want to have. Pride of life, I want to be. He says that, that's the sum total of the world and its system. Lust of flesh, eyes, and pride of life. And Peter says, look, uh, abstain from these fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Having your conversation, that word means lifestyle, having your lifestyle honest among the Gentiles. Turn over to Second Peter chapter 2, just one or two pages over, and you'll see a man who did exactly this who had this lust of the flesh, war against his soul. It's Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. Second Peter chapter 2, verse number 7, the Bible says this, that God delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation, the filthy lifestyle of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. In a very real way, We are in the world, but not of the world. We watch a Super Bowl game tonight, but inside of that Super Bowl game are some, frankly, some trashy commercials. Frankly, it's a trashy halftime show. If you like the halftime show, I'm sorry. It's trash. There's a lot that we're constantly surrounded by. We're constantly bombarded by. Trying to, the world literally trying to stick to us trying to attach to us, trying to be a tick in our wool, trying to be mud inside of our wool that vexes our soul, that wars against our soul, that comes against the internal man. And the solution to that is the shearing of the wool. And in a very real way, you, if you are saved, you know what this is like. 
The Lord will pick you up and He will set you up and He'll want you to continue forward. But if, if the wool is weighing you down, if there's part of the world that's sticking to you, He will do His dead level best to shear you. He will take His word, which sharper than any two-edged sword, and He'll do His best to pierce, to divide, to cut. And it's not a painful, or it's not a pleasant experience for you. It's not a pleasant experience for the Lord to do to you. But He will do His best to shave off those cares of the world, to rid you of what you're so attached to that you don't need to be attached to. And He will do His best to shear you. Hebrews 12 tells us that a father who loves his children chastens his children. And he chastens his children for their own good, and it produces joy in the long run because he chastened them. When it comes to our shearing, we don't like it, and there are these moments where we are, we're convicted, literally, we're cut, we are, the, the Lord gets after us, and that's not fun, but certainly it's for our benefit. Certainly it's a discipline that's implemented in our lives, and if you cannot stand on your own, there are there's some real moments where the Lord will come and he'll shear your wool. And he'll do his best to make sure you're not attached to that and you're not hooked on that and you're not, your hope is not found in that and you're, and you're not putting all of your eggs in that basket but that you're hoping in him. That you're able to walk sturdily along the way because he has literally ridded you of some of the cares of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Some, some of us in this room, you so badly want to be. You so badly want people to think this of you. So I, I wrestle with this. You so badly want people. I wrestled with this this week. All throughout the week, I thought, man, I should probably make Psalm 23, verse 2 a little more clear to people. It would be a good opportunity to teach them about some Bible study methods and, and what to do. But, but inside of that was the pride of life. Inside of that was, man, I don't want to look like an idiot. I don't want them to think that I missed the, the boat last week. I don't want them to think that I should have made something more clear when I didn't. Inside of that, the pride of life screams at me and screams at me and does it you too. What's the solution to that? The solution is only found in God's word and in him himself that he will shear you and he will take that away from you. Lastly, I'd say this, he moves us around. The sheep that need restoration of the soul, the sheep that are most easily cast, yes, those that are pregnant, yes, those that have the big thick wool, but I found it surprising. The sheep that are most prone to falling down and Literally, I'm help, stuck, and I can't get up. That's more than like this old life alert infomercial. That's real life for us sometimes. The sheep that are most prone to that are the oldest, the strongest, the biggest. Those sheep have a way of finding these crevices in the earth or these little hollows or these, these places in the earth where they want to lay down and they want to sprawl out. It's literally like their own little lazy boy, you know, made inside of the earth that they want to find comfort there. But it's those sheep that are the largest and the strongest that actually stand the best chance when they lay in their comfort zone to topple over and to lose their center of gravity. And it's those sheep that look for that comfortable spot to lay in that the shepherd knows you want to lay there and you want to be there and you think that's for your own comfort and you think that's for your own good, but he knows it's not and he'll prod and he'll move and he'll get them to different areas knowing that you think that's good for you, but you're going to become cast. You are literally going to, going to fall and you can't get up because you are laying there, you're looking for your comfort zone and the shepherd will move them along and prod them along and he'll use the rod and the staff to get them out of that hollow or out of that rut and there's the same thing is true to us as sheep. 
we constantly have this propensity that we want to we want to find the easy way. We want to find the easy path. We want the comfortable life. We want what is what is easiest for us and, and the good life for us and our grandkids. And and there's 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 something to planning and financial stewardship and all of that. But in a very real way, when you become comfortable in life, when you scan the horizon and the health's good and the finances are good and the emotions are good. Bank on it. What's happening? What's coming? A storm. There's going to be a trial. There's going to be a storm that is orchestrated by the hand of God sovereignly. And why does he do that? Why not just let me lay in comfort? Why not just let me enjoy my little hollow inside of the earth? Why not just let me lie here? Because he knows there's danger there for you. There's danger in your comfort. You stand a chance to become cast and and need setting up so he will... In his mercy, he will, beforehand, he will prod us and move us along so that we don't become this comfortable sheep that becomes cast. And the solution for us is to know that God is sovereign and he is in control. And that that trial and that testing, that thing that you bristle at and you don't like and it has made you uncomfortable over the last several weeks or months or years even, that that enters into your life, know it's at the hand of God and it's for your own good. He's doing his best to help you and to be a good shepherd to you. And when you understand that and that truth sinks into your heart, then all of a sudden it's so easy to have rest for your soul. When you understand that God is sovereign and he is in control and he's allowed this to happen, why do I need to stay up all night and worry? God has introduced this trial and this difficult time into my life and this financial difficulty. Why do I need to need to be anxious about it why do i need to be eager about it if it's not on my shoulders it's on his shoulders i can rest in him and i can know that he's in control someone once observed that we are a generation that we're entertaining ourselves to death and that's true it really is we seek a lot of entertainment and we enjoy it and we constantly want to kick back we want to be entertained by something but can i tell you entertainment is not a solution for your soul When you come to a point where the health is in shambles, entertainment is not going to help you. When you come to a point where the kids are just acting the fool and you can't figure out what they're doing for the life of you, entertainment is not going to help you. When you lose your job and you can't month after month after month find work, entertainment doesn't help. When he goes through the midlife crisis and begins to look for the trophy wife or she meets him on the internet, when those real life solutions or problems happen to our life, the solution to that is not entertainment. The solution to that is to know I'm resting in God. He is in control. I'm going to do everything in my power to rest in him, to put my trust in him, to put my hope in him, to put my confidence in him, and to say, Lord, I am a dumb sheep, and I don't know where to go, and I don't know, I don't know how you're leading me. I don't know why you're allowing this to happen. It feels like I'm being sheared. It feels like I'm falling down. It feels like all of it at once that my world is crashing in around me. Lord, I rest in you. I trust in you. I put my hope in you. I know that you can do this. That is the solution to our soul. That's how your soul becomes restored, and the burdens begin to go away, is that you realize when life is turned upside down that I put my hope in him. That's what David said. Why art thou cast down on my soul? Hope thou in God. The solution is to know that he is in control and that everything you need, whether that's I need to be picked up, whether that's I need some shearing and it's painful, whether it's he's just moving me along and I don't understand his leading right now, all of it. The solution is that you look to him and you know 
This is Jesus Christ. He's leading me for my own benefit. I'm going to trust in him, and I'm going to run to him. All that you need in your inner man, all that you need, your soul's care, is found in Jesus Christ. For sake of time, I'll just reference it. You can look there on your own time. Hebrews 6, verses 13 through 20, give us this passage of Scripture. And there's a lot to the passage of Scripture, honestly, but give us this passage of Scripture about Abraham, who was given a promise of God, and then God also, also made an oath. And he takes his confidence that God cannot lie, and God swore by himself, and he can't swear by anyone greater because there is no one greater than God, and that he's given this promise and this oath. And then he turns the table and says, likewise, we as Christians have been given a double-fold promise. We've been given a promise and, and an oath by the Lord. And he says this, based, I'm paraphrasing it, but he says, in Jesus Christ and in his finished work on the cross, we have a quote-unquote anchor for our soul. Verse number 17 or 18 of, of Hebrews chapter 6. He says that it's in Jesus that there is an anchor for our soul. The only chance you stand at adding stability for the inside, the only chance you stand at getting something that's stabilizing for your inner man, for your soul, that can only be found in Jesus can only be found in Jesus. When In our salvation, sure, that's an anchor for our soul, but even beyond that, on a day-to-day basis, when your soul needs restoration, renewal, reviving inside of yourself, that is found in Jesus Christ, that he literally will pick you up, he will shear you down, he will move you around, and all of that is designed so that he can restore your soul.